Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the House the Hinky Built podcast. As a presser, or as a, not a presser, my goodness, uh, as a headliner, as a reminder, um, this is being hosted as a live room on Spotify Green Room. So if you are confused at all when you listen to this uh, you know, on you know, on delay or kind of the podcast episode, I should say, just keep that in mind. But today we're going to bring on Danny Morang to talk about some potential Blazers Sixers deals, whether that's involving Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum. Uh, we'll discuss discuss that and kind of the viability of you know the framework of a Ben Ben involved Ben Simmons involved deal um, for either one of Portland's guards. And we'll talk a little bit about kind of how he thinks Portland will handle this offseason um, and kind of how he thinks that could maybe shape the decisions they make with with their roster. But but Danny is here now. I'm excited to get started. Uh, and we will bring him on stage, and uh, we'll get going and kind of talk about maybe the potential deals here. Hey, Danny, how are you today? There we go. What's going on, guys? How are you doing today? Oh, it's just another day in paradise, right? <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah, uh, I, I feel uh-huh. like uh, I feel like when we fo- if, when we focus on the CJ Ben Simmons framework part of it, will be like the uh, the video where the house is on fire and there's the kid swinging on the on the swing or whatever that video is that goes around on Twitter. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's dumpster fires. It's, uh, this is fine. Uh, the two dumpsters racing down the flooded street. Like it's, <laughs> it's just bad, man. Yeah. Uh, not great. Uh, for, for anyone who's wondering about the context, especially, uh, the Blazers just wrapped up their introductory press conference with their new head coach, Chauncey Billups. Um, obviously Chauncey Billups was involved in a, you know, a, a court settlement revol- revolving around a rape allegation in 1997 and there were some contentious questions uh, and interactions between media and the Blazers, uh, members of the Blazers. And so that's kind of where some of the, uh, I guess, chaos is that, that Danny's alluding to is kind of stemming from, because we are at 20 minutes removed from the end of that presser. Um, and it was quite uh, interesting, I guess, is maybe the kindest way to put that. But um, this is a Sixer-centric podcast and stream, yeah. so we'll try and focus on maybe the the X's and O, not the, I guess, kind of the framework of maybe some deals because these two teams um, clearly have kind of seemed like maybe trade hitters for a couple of years now, but um, the Blazers maybe maybe finally changing directions a little bit. Um, we will discuss that, but we'll also try and maybe discuss how you think the Blazers, you know, usher in a new era, regardless of whether it changes the team's roster building idea. They do have a new coach for the first time in, I think, a decade or nine years. Um, and this is how it changes. We'll talk about that a little bit, but... Um, I do want to kind of lead it off. If you if you had to pick, you know, between Dame and CJ, who would you who would you bet on outlasting the other in Portland right now? Uh that was pretty easy. It's it's Dame until further notice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's regardless of what kind of gets out there right now. Um, until Dame forces a trade. He won't be traded because whoever decides to trade him out of Portland will lo- lose their job if mm. if a public demand isn't asked for. Mm. So you explore all other options before that. Uh, I'm I'm pretty squarely on the belief that they're going to shop CJ McCollum pretty hard uh, in the next six weeks, uh, particularly on the the heels of of Haynes's piece and mm. roster construction and the shortened off season and everything else. This is. I, I realistically, I think this is the last opportunity they're going to have with Damian Lillard is this offseason. If they aren't able to at least show something, 
some sort of growth, some sort of real commitment to, to putting the right pieces around him. This time next year, that, that might change. But until then, uh, it's CJ. CJ at the door first, then Dan. Yeah, to me, the, the kind of the, you know, I, I know Jason Quick had a mailbag, I think, last week at The Athletic. Yep. Uh, it mentioned both both of those guys, both Dame and CJ. He mentioned that he thinks it's it's a fairly likely probability that, that CJ has moved in the offseason, but also referenced the fact that Dame wants to, is getting antsy to win big and win big soon. Um, yep. And then in conjunction with the Haynes piece that you mentioned from a few days ago, uh, to me, all of this screams that uh, Dame doesn't want the biggest moves of his tenure as a Blazer to be you know, trading for use of Nurkic and Norman Powell. He wants something a little bigger. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, this is kind of the, the last chance that we got, you know, in, in, in conjunction with the fact that, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, whether it's Neil O'Shea, even Chauncey today, you know, talked about defensive growth. Um, for everything he did as well, you know, it's tough to build around two guards like that. Uh, and obviously Ben Simmons is a guy who, you know, would improve your defense. You, you trade off a lot offensively, of course, but mm-hmm. um, you have a lot there, you know, defensively. And especially especially if they re-sign Ron Powell, I think it makes – it can kind of ease some of the loss of a guy like CJ, yeah. you know. Um, but what you know, if if the six, if there is kind of a deal to be had here between the Sixers and Blazers revolving around a CJ Ben framework, what does that look like for you? Do you think it's is it adding like who's adding somewhat like who like how 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 does that get done? Because I have to imagine you know you and other people in Blazer circles have at least you know envisioned the idea of you know of this sort of deal coming to fruition you know over the next you know few months maybe. Yeah. That's the hard part, right? I think both the Blazers and 76ers are trying to recoup some value. CJ was uh, poor, to say the least, in his performance against the Nuggets. He got played by a combination of Faku Campazzo, uh, Horace, and Austin Rivers, which that's that's not great, Bob. Uh, <laughs> so I think we know what CJ is for the most part. I think there was a little bit of dysfunction and – um, some change needed to happen in Portland, so I, I think that may have played a part in some apathy towards the end of the season. Um, but Ben, obviously, I mean, what's what's the issue? Is the mental block? Is it? Does he need to get out of fit? Like, the investigation and the legwork that the, the Blazers would do on him as an asset and around him, I think, would probably dictate a lot of that stuff, regardless of how much more he dumps it that they're going to rehab Ben Jumper and they're going to spend this time. Like, the Blazers are going to have their price. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lean towards probably CJ and a pick mm-hmm. because of the years difference. I mean, CJ's 30 years old, Ben's 24. Like, that's that's not a small thing. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's even Ben at his, even at his work in that series, he's still a premier defender. He's still an mm-hmm. maker. He's still able to set the table for three-point shooters. Um, probably the the most versatile and and uh, aggressive defender in the league, one through five. Like that has intrinsic value. And mm-hmm. if you get Ben to buy into being Draymond and getting him off the ball a little bit, uh, letting him play four on three with arguably the best pick and roll playmaker for <laughs> an NBA history. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's something Portland has to take a look at. But what the value aspect of is it? Like it's just so all over the place. Some people say. You know, uh, the, the Sixers might need to include uh, Tybal, or the Blazers need to include a pick and a young kid. Like, it's just, it depends on who you talk to and who's <laughs> what media aspect of it that day. The straight across makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think, it, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's funny that depending on who you ask, one one side has to add a bunch more. Like, it's as if it's like the, the Simmons for Dame framework where the Sixers have to add a ton more. Mm-hmm. But, but generally speaking, I think if, if, 
I think one side will end up adding more, but I don't think it'll be anything significant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've talked about it. I've written about it. You know, there's with Ben, it's optimizing him can be tough, but I think you get pretty dang close with the Blazers because you have the lead guard and Dame who can, you know, drag defenders out to 35, 40 feet. Um, you have the floor spacer in, in Robert Covington. If Norman Powell resigns, even another kind of secondary creator. And then while Nurkic isn't, you know, much of a stretch five, yet he's dabbed a little bit, you know, since returning from injury, um, he still can kind of bring the center out because he can pass from the elbows. And then I yeah. think if they brought Ben in, you could maybe expect Nurkic to up his three-point rate, um, you know, and kind of see what happens there. So uh, I think it's a really good fit for, uh, you know, this, the Blazer side of things. But, of course, with the, with the, the Sixers as well, um, you get another shot creator. Um, probably not quite the level, I mean, you want, like I've talked about, I think there's some overlap between him and Tobias Harris's guys who like to shoot from mid-range, you know, see it up to yeah. three-point frequency this year, pre-injury, and a little bit after the injury. Um, but still, guys, not going to get to the foul line a lot, not going to get to the rim and finish there. Um, but the Sixers could still, I mean, if they could clone Tobias Harris, they'd obviously do that. So um, you bring in a 6-3 guy who's probably a little, maybe a little better as a ball handle, a little better as a shot creator, um, still adds a lot of value to you. And the fact of the matter is, as long as you have Joel Embiid kind of anchoring the paint, you're probably going to be a pretty solid defense. So you can kind of worry less about that. But you mentioned kind of Ben maybe needing to get out of Philadelphia. I think that would help too. Like I, I can't read too much on the mental side of things because I just just well outside of any any sort of insight I have. But I do yeah. think a fresh start would help him. Um, I would really be interested to see kind of how he would respond to someone like Dame, who consistently is able to get the most out of out of players. I mean, you you could just mention Nurkic, a guy who you know was not in a great spot in Denver, um, and you know now Nurk and Dame are you know kind of the best of friends. And Nurk, for all his struggles, has had some pretty nice years and pretty nice stretches in Portland. And he's credited a lot of that to, to Dame. And so um, I would really be interested to kind of see how Dame could, you know, help Ben in, in that way. Um, but so you think maybe the, if the Blazers were going to add something, it would just be a pick. Like, would they be able, like, would the Sixers be able to maybe pry in for any Simons? No, you like Simons. He had a much better yeah. kind of year. Not three, a chance like, of help. <laughs> the answer is no there? Yeah, no. They, okay. they, the only person who likes Anthony Simons more than I do is Neil Olshan. <laughs> That's that's true. So, I, I forgot about that. He did call yeah. him the most talented player he's ever drafted. I yeah. Believe. So, and I know that they, and I mean, especially now with Zach Collins now breaking his foot again, if they yeah. give up a controlled asset, that they they have nothing. I mean, the, the cupboard will be so bare. I mean, it's when you look at what they have contractually, this is what makes everything crazy. CJ is obviously at 33, $34 million. Ben is obviously above that when he goes into his new deal, but it makes sense when you're, you're, you're swapping positions and, and balancing the roster and that kind of thing. But you still need to fill it out with the younger guys on the lesser contracts. And I just, it's very, very, very hard to see Portland, including uh, a guy like Simons who, you say what you want about it. He's an elite three-point shooter. He's, his career now, he's got shooting 46% in catch and shoot. Uh, Nasir Little, I know they think really highly of. They had him, uh, I believe, 14th on their board on draft night, and when they fell down to him, they were ecstatic. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely, especially with a new coach, with Olshay talking about how uh, much coaching uh, was was the the arbiter for, for their shortcomings, uh, <laughs> I would be very, very surprised if they moved the young guys uh, in any deal that didn't involve a surefire guy in return. Yeah, that's that's a great point about O'Shea's affinity for for Simons. I totally forgot about that part of it. Um, but yeah, as you may, I mean, Simons is a long way to go to really kind of solidify himself as a a key kind of guard. But clearly, has been a great shooter. Um, it, it's funny, like when I watch him play, I feel like it's 
it's almost like he's just been drilled to like the ball comes to him and just like let the ball go from three. Uh, yeah. and, and last year it worked quite well because he shot some some scorching mark from three. I think at one point he was like a, right atop the leaderboard for spot it's three. Him, both shot o- all three of them shot over 50. That's <laughs> shooting. Yeah, um, but obviously, you know, with the Sixers, there's always there can always be more. I mean, they they have much better shooting than they had in prior years, but you can always get more there. Yeah, uh, and it's not like Simon too. You know, was kind of, I would say right now, been automatic and has a quick trigger uh, that really helps them. But that makes sense. Um, is there are there any young guys you think that maybe they would tr- maybe pr- prefer to part with instead of a maybe a 2022 first that's protected or a 2023 first? Like, what do you, you think? The I pick think is that the most thing? a pick far enough out. I think they could. Mm-hmm. Um, it, depending on what year it is, whether or not they could get Philadelphia to a, agree to a, a protection like a top eight, because uh, I don't think you can go full lottery in that regard mm-hmm. if you're putting it out that far, but top eight, um, I, I think that would probably be the compromise. But they're definitely not going to let go of anybody, any young guys on the roster. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the thing is you can mortgage the future, but you can't mortgage the present because they just salary cap wise between – uh, Cove, Nurk, Dame, and CJ—they're at over a hundred million dollars, and so they—they—they they, they have to have bird rights. They have to have RFA status. It's like they're—they are in such a nightmare position contractually. They just can't give those guys up. Yeah, for sure. That yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I, I am curious, though, kind of specifically with the on-court fit. Um, you know, we mentioned a little bit about how Simmons would work well in, in Portland. Um, are there any other guys on on your radar that you know maybe CJ could? Like CJ could be dealt for that intrigue you, or is Simmons kind of the the top guy there? What when you look kind of maybe where you try to project the market for CJ and how the Blazers improve? Where does Simmons factor into that? You mentioned some of the, the things that the Blazers will assess if, if they're dealing for Ben or at least negotiating. But where does he kind of fit into there? And who are some of the other guys that might maybe be rivaling him on your kind of ideal or projectable you know market for for CJ there? So. John Hollinger, I think, stated it best. I think CJ's looked at as a negative asset as far as contract status, but not necessarily a performance status. Mm-hmm. You you hit on it. The free throw rate, he's at the lowest free throw rate since 1970-71 for game, <laughs> point per game score. Um, it's it's quite literally impressive how little he gets to the line. Um, but he's also, it's between him and Kevin Durant uh, over <laughs> five years for best mid-range shooters in the NBA. So, mm-hmm. like, it's it's like a two K create a player right where you just dump every point in <laughs> and you put zero in free throw because he just doesn't generate them at all. Um, so marketing that guy in a deal it, it it does require the right fit, and so I've had it. The baseline return I've kind of earmarked is that he's worth Marcus Smart and a first round pick. Mm-hmm. That, that's if you're like looking for a stock line, like that's what you're kind of looking for. So if you're Portland, the opportunity for Ben Simmons, who would easily be the most talented trade him for, uh, makes the most sense because uh, mm-hmm. you're not trading him straight. If Brandon Ingram wanted out of New Orleans, you're definitely mm-hmm. not getting him. Getting Chris Middleton, that's that ship has sailed. Um, Miami, it looked like there might be some restructuring there. But now it looks like they're they're, they're going to be committed. You're, you're not getting a look at Jimmy Butler, so you just start going down the list, and it's like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. So, if it if it became something else, you could see McCollum being involved in a deal where he a third team gets involved, and the right assets get moved around. That makes sense for Portland to take somebody else back. But what they're looking for 
is a three or a three, four. That's what they need. Uh, mm. Now with Collins being out for likely another year and whether or not they, they opt to bring him back on a qualifying offer, that's one of those young assets that they're, they're going to lose. Nothing. So you look at where Portland is sitting right now. Look at what Philadelphia, what they're doing and what they need. That, that makes so much sense, even for the issues that it will present for both teams. Like, well, Philly has to figure out if Seth Curry is going to come off the bench and, and be sixth man because he can't really play alongside CJ because now you're replicating the important. Mm-hmm. There's some truth to that. But you're also getting a, you know, a 50% mid-range guy, a 40% career three-point shooter, and your best pick-and-roll ball handler that's an effective two-level scorer that you've had with Joel Embiid. So that those are the things that you kind of have to fight with. And it, it's so stupid because it makes so much sense for a, a CJ for Simmons swap that it's entirely unlikely it'll happen. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, the joke that I've been making the last couple of days is uh, ever since the Dame, you know, the Dame Haynes report came out is that the most Sixers thing would be that Dame goes somewhere else in the next year, and the Blazers have CJ. Uh, or in the Blazers, the Sixers get CJ. Um, you know, of course, that that's kind of how the things go with the Sixers during this, this era. Um, but the the thing that I've really been interested in, and I had I had Tony East on earlier, let me last week, uh, he covers mm-hmm. the Pacers. Uh, I would really be interested if there was some sort of mega trade involving the Pacers, where maybe one of their big men goes to the the Blazers, um, yep. and you know, maybe Nurkic is dealt because obviously there's some some level of instability based off of Nurkic's comments, um, you know, right after the season. Comments, again. contract, everything. If, if you could, high in the sky, if you're Portland, if, if Ben's on the table, if they could route CJ to, to Philadelphia and Nurkic to the Lakers, you take the Lakers assets, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kyle Kuzma in a first, route that to, to Indiana for Miles Turner back to Portland. If Portland could, could route that and make that kind of thing happen, that that's the kind of deal that would change everything where you had a, a you look at, you know, moving Covington if you have to, to make it make sense. But a, a lineup of, of Damian Lillard, Norman Powell resigned with Ben Simmons and Miles Turner. Now you're, you're cooking with gas and you're, you're putting, you know, a, a different entirely, you know, uh, based uh, attack and roster around him for the first time in his career that made sense. Yeah, exactly. And especially if you, I mean, I think the key is one of the keys here is re-signing Norman Powell. Um, I think he would. I, mean, I just, I just watching that that series against the Nuggets. And I know CJ had a bad, a, a tough series. The jumpers weren't jumpers weren't falling mm-hmm. at the rate they normally do. But just watching kind of the the compliment that Powell gives them with his kind of ability to attack downhill off of handoffs or attack closeouts and space the floor as well, I really think helps them there. But it would, but as you mentioned, it would be a totally new look because if you compared, you know, the the, the Blazers roster around Dan heading the last year versus you know this hypothetical where they have. You know, if Simmons, Turner, and Powell is three of their starting guys, it would be three different. And if, if Covington's gone too, it'd be four new guys around him, which mm-hmm. would be the most roster turnover I think for Dame in the starting five since Aldridge left, and there was kind of that mass exodus. Yes, yeah, um, they lost their entire starting line. Up to yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the type, kind of stuff I think would be interesting there, um, just because you know there is you know I'm just looking at kind of some of the chat here. Someone's asking, uh, you know, Jacob Hillman is asking, uh, you know, if kind of the fit maybe between Nurkic and Simmons would be a little wonky. And I agree there's maybe a little bit of issue that I think could work with some, you know, changing of how Nurkic operates offensively. But it would be much more cohesive if you got a true stretch five like Turner there, who, you know, obviously is just a better player in general and fits better with this in this hypothetical where the six, where the Blazers have Ben Simmons in the fold now. But, um, yeah, that all makes sense in terms of kind of the, the fit. 
um, you know, for, you know, or for the fit or kind of the trade or the framework, um, whatever phrase you want to use there for a CJ and Dame swap, or CJ and Ben swap, my goodness, um, all over the place. So many, so many names are rattling around in my head right now. Um, but give, give kind of, because I think give Sixers fans here kind of a, the scouting report on CJ, maybe on both ends briefly to know what they did. Because I think there's the general idea we talked about a little bit, like a good shooter gets, can't really get to the rim or the free throw line. Um, but what exactly would they be getting? How would you see him helping this team? Because obviously you know better than, you know, anyone, you know, kind of anyone who's watched the Sixers plays a little <laughs> bit. But what's the scouting report on CJ? How would, how would he help the Sixers? Where would maybe still present some holes for them as they build a roster around this, this new starting five, I guess? Hilariously, you would have three guys – Harris and McCollum, who love the mid-range. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the whole irony for you was just, just worth it for me. Um, but as far as CJ goes, very crafty with the ball. I mean, they do call him crafty James McCollum uh, for a reason. His, hand, his handle is elite. Um, for a guy who does not have top-end explosiveness, does not have a lot of verticality, not, you know, shaking anybody uh, with speed, it's deceptiveness. His game will age gracefully. Uh, I think that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year has been very healthy, very reliable. Uh, you can basically pencil him in for 80 games. Um, as far as the offensive side of the floor, he can work in DHOs. He can work as a primary ball handler. He can absolutely run your offense. Uh, as a playmaker, not gifted at making full speed, uh, but can create with either hand. Uh, elite at getting spots on the elbows. Um, can, can take advantage of any and every mismatch. Um, does have a nice floater when you're talking mm-hmm. about superior game. That has been something that he, because he, he he actively avoids going in the paint because of his foot injuries. He doesn't want to roll his ankle, and it's 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 ironic that that's how he did it this time. Uh, mm-hmm. More aggressive, but uh, when he came back from that, injury, he he doubled down on not going all the way to the rim. Um, but he does have the ability to score in the paint on runners, on floaters, very crafty in that regard. Defensively, he can run. I'll, I'll tell you that. He typically leads the NBA in ground. Uh-huh. And that's both offensively and defensively. He he does not get enough credit for it. He has maybe the best engine in the NBA. It is J.J. Redick, Reggie Miller-esque. He just goes and goes and goes and goes. Uh-huh. Something to be said for that. Um he does have a tendency to die on screens. He is awful when mismatched uh, defensively against a bigger-bodied wing. Uh, DeMar DeRozan sees him and licks his chop <laughs> single time. Uh, he gets absolutely annihilated on the mid-block uh, by big-bodied wings. That is his kryptonite. He does well enough staying in front of ball handlers, works well enough in team schemes. Uh, you do not want switched on bigs or big-bodied wings. Like I said, he just not utilize his strength well in that regard. But as far as team concept goes, it, especially if you're playing him at the one, he is your primary ball handler, and you've got Tobias Harris, Matisse Peibel, and Joel Embiid, I'm willing to give a little bit of a pass uh, if he dies on a screen with that kind of <laughs> defense. So uh, he's easier to cover up for by himself than when he's playing alongside six one Damian Lillard. And I think mm-hmm. that that probably miscasts him because as long as as much as he's played two in Portland, he is a one. Let, let's, mm-hmm. let's not get it twisted. He is a one through and through. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's something that I like. I think there's always been clear strengths as CJ's game defensively, but it's been tough when he's played next to Dame. And of course, Dame's always going to take you know precedent uh, yep. in those situations. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's. I mean, I think pe- people should really appreciate that scouting report there and and whatnot. I think what what one of the things you mentioned. I don't know if it was quite in that that little monologue, but just in general, you mentioned is the fact that he can really get to his spots, and that's something that the Sixers really struggled with in that mm-hmm. in that second round loss to the Hawks. Um, some of that was Embiid was hampered by the meniscus injury. Um, some of it was Tobias kind of struggled on the stretch. But beyond those two guys, they didn't really have anyone who could get to their spots yeah. comfortably. And so you add a third player there who can kind of get to, get to his spots as a scorer. I mean, of, I think that would really help them. And of course, again, there's always the defensive trade off that you must acknowledge here. Um, part of the reason the Sixers still had a chance in that series um, was because their defense was quite good. But of course, the, the offense was uh, pretty inept. But I think that's a great point because they just they just need more of those guys. I mean, that's. When they when they traded for Jimmy Butler, that was something that was really good for them. Is yep. Jimmy could get to his spot, so um, I mean, that would really help them in his shot creation. You know, he wants to get to his one, two, either little in and out hezzy or into his mid range pull up. You know, <laughs> you know exactly where he's at when he's on the where he's at when he's on the floor and where he wants to get to, and he still gets there. Mm-hmm. It's very Giannis esque in the sense of you know Giannis has two moves. Good luck stopping. CJ McCollum, you know where he wants to. He's not going to take goalie. He's going to get to his spots and he's going to hit those shots. And I think mm-hmm. that that is a value. I think it's overlooked a ton until you get to the playoffs and you go, "Huh, that's a really handy thing to have." Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think. I mean, you just you just see the value of shot creation in these playoffs, and mm-hmm. you see you know, the limitations of it or the value of it. Um, you can make it basically look at all of these series. Uh, and there, there are an array of things that, are, that matter. You know, big man defense, I think, is really important in these series. But um, you look at, you know, the Suns are struggling right now because their best two ball hunters haven't quite been able to get to their shots as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the Clippers are were able to mitigate the losses of the absence of Kawhi yesterday because they had PG was on one and, and Reggie Jackson kind of figured out his kind of, you know, was, was great again. Um, you know, the Hawks have struggled a little bit um, because the secondary careers beyond Trae Young haven't been great. The Bucks buried the Hawks in the fourth quarter of that game because Chris Middleton took over the shot creator. So um, really a key part of any deep playoff team or, or team deep, capable of a deep playoff run. Um, but conversely, what what entices you most about Ben? And do you have any questions for me that maybe I could shine a light on kind of some of his tendencies there? But what what is most intriguing about his fit to you in, in Portland alongside Dame in this, in this hypothetical? It, it, it's the hypothetical part of it. <laughs> Billing to be the four. Mm-hmm. To not be the primary ball handler all the time. Dame, as much as he says he wants to be off ball, his actions show other ones. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest. I love Dame. I do. But he says he wants to play like Steph Curry. And he wants to be a part of this. And wants, he'd love for Draymond to come here. I just, for a, for a guy who's a top 10 player in the NBA, who has all the cachet within this franchise, if he wanted to be off ball more with CJ McCollum on the floor, he could be. If he wanted to be off ball more with running the offense from the middle of the floor, he could be, but he doesn't. So Dame wants to have the ball in his hands. In that regard, if you can still run pick and roll at 35 feet with Ben Simmons and you trap Damian Lillard at 35 feet, good luck. If Dame threads a pass to Ben Simmons getting downhill from the three-point line in, four on three, with Norman Powell in one corner, Say they make it the deal, and you've got Miles Turner uh, above the break, and you've got some Doug McDermott esque. Listen, I'm as Pacers fans, calm down. I'm just saying, just a guy who's stone <laughs> cold shooter. Because mm-hmm. once you have those three defenders in the lineup, I think you can afford to have just a guy out there who just gets buckets in the regular season. 
and you're asking Ben Simmons to play four on three downhill with plus shooters around the floor at their positions, that is a nightmare for a defense thing for 82 games. Mm-hmm. When you get to the playoffs, if you can convince Ben to eat some minutes at the five, to play true small ball with him at the five, I think you would have just pure unadulterated nightmare for defense. <laughs> I just, it's very difficult for me to see Portland being able to make a trade that would have the upside of getting Ben Simmons as a four five, as a secondary ball handler, as a short role playmaker, and as a defensive stopper. I mean, he's tailor made to play alongside Damian Lillard. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think the, the way that I've, you know, for a while there's been, you know, I, I would say respectfully mis, misguided uh, belief that Ben is like a full time five. But the, I've come around to the idea that he can definitely play kind of as a backup in, in spurts because it's mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just tough to find really playable backup centers in the playoffs, especially. I mean, yep. for the Sixers, like Dwight Howard was a fine reserve center in the regular season, and then the playoffs came, uh, and he was pretty bad for most of those games. So uh, I definitely think in, in the playoffs you could see that at times. And I would, you know, I, I think for Ben, I, w- I think this is my favorite fit for him. Like, I don't know if it's the most likely situation, but I think it's my favorite fit because of the reason you mentioned there. And then for the Blazers, like, when when's the last time they had a, a, a guy, a perimeter defender like him, you could – and trust to at least slow other big time offensive creators like this. And I'm trying to th- like Scotty, it, Scott. Yeah, I mean and that was the that closest was like 20 years ago, 20 years ago at this point. Like, if you want to make an argument, you could say Wes Matthews pre Achilles. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, he, and he was seven. He's what five inches shorter, four inches, yeah. six inches shorter. West, so. West, six, four. so yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Batum uh, when he was locked in uh, is probably the closest you should get with the size. But yeah, mm-hmm. they they have not. You mean you're looking quite literally at Scottie Pippen, uh, Stacey Ogman. Like it's it's been a generation since the Blazers have had a, a defender that talented. Yeah, and I think what's what's most interesting there is because like even Batum, like Batum is a guy I think is best suited off the ball, kind of using his mm-hmm. length and smarts. So yeah, I think that would just give them a certain level of you know perimeter defense they haven't had in a long time. So um, people have been asking, like people have asked me, like where do you want Ben to go, and like who do you want the Sixers to get back? And I'm like. I don't really care much. Like, I don't have an investment in the Sixers get back, but for Ben's sake, for basketball, I would love to see him in, in Portland because I think it's kind of almost the idealized version of him. And especially, like, of course, if they get Miles Turner in this, this, this hypothetical where um, Neil O'Shea has made the two most aggressive moves of his Blazers tenure in one <laughs> offseason. Um, Nine years worth of nothing and then six weeks just pure decadent joy. Oh, yes. I don't think it's happening. Yes, exactly. But in that situation, you're looking at pretty much the optimal outcome. But even if they, if, if Nurk, if kind of they stay pat with, stay pat with Nurk, you still have a pretty optimal situation. And I think Nurk maybe would be willing to kind of continue to embrace three point shooting more, maybe run run more offense through him at the elbows and whatnot because of his passing. Um, and especially because I think with Nurk, you know, there's been this idea like like any not an idea like there's such a contrast for him between his passing from the elbows and the arc than there is in the short roll. Um, just because it's, I mean, it's just a different role. I mean, it's tough to, it's a lot tougher to, at his size to balance everything, whether it's finishing and making the proper reads. Whereas if you're stationary at the elbows and, you know, the high post and stuff, it's a little easier for him. So if you could allow, allow him to be the elbow passer and Simmons to mainly focus on the short roll stuff, um, you'd really be cooking with, you know, uh, with gas with two big men like that who can, you know, really facilitate. And Ben can still differently elbows and post too. He's, I think he's honestly been better in that role. Than he has been in the short role, but again, he hasn't had a ton of reps. Like, even though I think he needs to improve a lot as a big man in terms of what he can do, I think he hasn't had a ton of reps there. So I think you could expect some growth. But um, point being, I think there's still some complementary factors between Ben and Nurk offensively and and defensively. I think 
not relying on Nurk to cover everything in the pick and roll. It's um, Colbert-esque. That, that, that's what it is. And that's everybody wanted to throw Rudy under the bus in the playoffs and play him off the floor. It's like, well, if, if anybody could stay in front of anybody on the perimeter, you know, you don't have your seven-footer checking out to the three-point line in the corner and then back again. It's the same thing with Nurkic, except it's more exacerbated because he's 315 pounds. Just, yeah. You're asking a guy who's one of the five biggest humans in the league to cover 25 feet back and forth, and that's just doesn't make any sense. Ben Simmons, ha- having him on the floor, having a true – I'll say this. this the, the, the moment when I went, Ben Simmons is the best defender in the NBA, was coincidentally enough when the 76ers came and played Portland, and he clamped up game more than any player I've ever seen. That's when it was just – that 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 shouldn't happen. You, a six ten dude should not be able to do that. And yeah, that level of ability to make Damian Lillard turn his back to the defender at forty feet was eye opening at how dominant he can be on that end. So, yeah, they, there's just there's just no. I don't think there's a superlative or hyperbole enough that you could use to get me excited enough about <laughs> alongside Damian Lillard on both sides of the floor. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it'd be I, it would be awesome. I like I. You know, I was I live in Portland, and I would I would be making sure that I'm I'm getting credentials for those those games so I could watch it up close in person rather than from from my home, uh, ten ten miles away or whatever it is. But um, I do kind of want to. I think is there anything else you want to touch on about the CJ Ben framework? Because I do want to discuss the the Dame side of things. Because even though I think that's a the lot less, time. yes, a uh, <laughs> little more little more rosy for Sixers fans, less less rosy in your case. Because I do want to discuss it, even if I think it's a lot lot less likely to happen. Yeah, uh, this offseason, if at all. But anything you want to touch on with this side of things before we shift gears to the uh, the, uh, the ideal situation for the Sixers? I think it pretty much covers it up just because CJ stuff. I mean, you you know, you followed me for a while. I've wanted to trade CJ since his breakout series against Memphis. Like it's, uh, you can see the writing on the wall for a very long time, mm-hmm. uh, and so it, it it kind of is in that regard. And I, I think he's a good player. I just never have liked the fit. Yeah, it, it, it's just a tough. I mean. I think, you know, people talk about the idea that it's tough to build around two small guards. And while I agree with that sentiment, I honestly just think the bigger issue was, and this is not to disrespect CJ McCollum, it was the idea that the front office believed in him as a true number two for a championship caliber team. Like, like if CJ was a top 20-ish player, top 25, yeah, it'd be a little wonky to build around two small guards. But when CJ's more of a top 40-ish guy, top 45, yeah. you're just, you're working, they're working from a talent deficit more than they are from a, from a kind of a, archetype deficit even if both play a, play a role so um I, I agree there but i think shifting shifting to uh the thing the sixers fans would like to uh have happen much more than the cj ben swap which uh, is not quite as enjoyable for their end of things even if he could help a lot um in certain ways what's what is your read on the situation when do you maybe expect this to come to a little more when he's maybe expect this to come to a little more fruition than right now where it's like the where it feels like more of the emphasis is Dame is putting the emphasis on the front office to make moves this offseason rather than you know trade him and find suitors for him right now. It won't come up until next season. Okay, it'll be ten years in Portland, and I think at that point in time, you can make an argument um, mm. that even the most diehard Blazer fans can can accept. Mm. Uh, now, they'll lay the blame at whoever the GM is at that point in time for failing to surround Damian Lillard, or if there's a GM in place, uh, he'll have to you know, have the scarlet letter of having to trade Damian Lillard. But I'll say this. they will ha- Dame and his staff will have to publicly call for a trade. 
because mm-hmm. they wouldn't trade him otherwise. That's just it's it's career suicide for anybody in Portland to, to consider that option. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I would expect no suit next summer unless something out of this world happens, which. The way the last six weeks have gone is not <laughs> unprecedented. Yeah, if, if 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 the rate of noise continues to build at, at this uh, at this level, mm-hmm. uh, may, yeah, maybe by October, all of a sudden, Dame is uh, Dame is elsewhere. But I, I tend to agree as well. Um, I think just the way I interpret it is it, it's more like, hey, hey, Neil, um, I've been here. I, I just dropped fifty five and ten in a game we lost. Uh, I averaged thirty five and ten or whatever in the playoffs, and, and we lost to a team down half its guard rotation. Yeah. Um, so. That's how I kind of view things like, hey, let's, let's figure things out. Let's make bigger moves than, you know, Nurkic and Norm Powell as, as are the, kind of the headlining trades there. Um, but if it did come to fruition next summer, so Dan would have, you know, three three years left in his deal, correct? He's at, he has four right now. Yeah. What, for the Sixers specifically, what sort of deal would, you know, and it, it would change because it's tough to know right now because, I mean, the, the value of a guy like Tyrese Maxey could be much bigger after year two given the growth we saw. Maybe Matisse Thibel could be even more enticing. Again, you'd have less years in their deal, I mean, your fewer years. But um, right now, what – I mean, again, it's tough to kind of project because we're looking at the value of some of the young guys around, you know, Simmons and, and whatnot, uh, or the young guys plus Simmons. But what what would it take, you think, for the Sixers to at least, you know, be a major player as a trade suitor for, for Dame in the eyes of the Blazers' front office? For I've kind of gone through the machinations, like what what's available right now that you would consider acceptable offer for a top ten player in prime with four years remaining. Mm-hmm. And Philly probably falls third or fourth on that list with what they could offer, um, just because the, I don't think the top end player matches up with what Portland would want right now for Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 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 the bigger issue is. What what young guy matches up? Because you're not giving up Damian Lillard for eight picks. That's just that's it's got. You're gonna it, it, for Portland for a small market for the heart of this franchise for this community. You cannot sell just picks. There mm-hmm. has to be a player that makes sense. My my first thought right now, if if it was going to happen right now, Simmons, Tybal, Maxi, and probably two or three firsts. And I know that that's a massive offer, but. That's that's what we would take to leverage Damian Lillard out of Portland because the offers will come in and they will be massive. Yeah, and I, I you said it's a massive. Offer. I think that's completely reasonable. Like when I when the news first broke, I kind of said the three three targets I thought would be interesting would be Boston, New Orleans, and Philly, and I had some Sixers yep. fans, of course, throwing around some trade machine ideas, and someone had I think a couple of picks, and I was like, I think that might be a little a little short, um, and I think it included Maxine Thibel in addition to, to Simmons, of course, yep. but. Um, this is what makes it so tough for the Sixers side of things. As you mentioned, you don't think there's any any real chance, you know, right now that he, you know, he has moved, you know, before next season. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if the Sixers can afford to, like, I don't think they can afford to run it back. Like, I mean, if this is three straight years now where Ben has really struggled in the second round, like, I don't, and I'm not saying like Joel Embiid is going to ask out, but I, but I, I would be fresh if I were Joel Embiid if they tried to run it back again with the promise, like, hey, maybe Damon Lillard asks out next summer, like, let's just lose in the second round again. You know, that's obviously they would frame it a lot more. You know, delicately or you know, rosy, rosy, <laughs> well, but, but I just I think it would be it would be frustrating for this guy who's you know played at MVP level last season, um, you know, and presumably would be able to continue that um, as he's right in the heart of his prime. Uh, if they just kind of ran it back with a guy who really struggles offensively, you know, beyond the first round, and that's what makes it tough for the Sixers because 
I don't think I think CJ can improve them. I think he could maybe get them to the level that they just need a few more points to make it beyond. I mean, this is a second straight. T- they're not second straight, but second straight year with Ben Simmons healthy, they've lost in seven games uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the second round. Um, I think CJ could get them to the next step in terms of you know making making the conference finals, being a Final Four team, which is a, a tremendous yeah. accomplishment. But I don't know if the talent, the the fit upgrade is enough to make them a championship contender uh, because. Even though I, I don't believe in the idea of asterisk, but I do think this year's title winner will be a little less, you know, formidable compared to some previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was a great year for the Sixers. You know, the Nets were injured, unfortunately, for their sake. The, the Sixers had home court advantage. They, you know, they had a lot of things go right for them. Uh, and so my point being is, I just I don't know if they can afford to try and just run it back. And but at the same time, I don't know if CJ is the guy to really get them to the next step. I just think they would continue to be working from a talent deficit. Like if. If CJ McCollum and Tobias Harris are your two and your second and third best players, pretty good. Like you're going to win a lot mm-hmm. of games when Joel Embiid is, is the guy there. But I don't think those guys are your your, your second best players on a championship team. You look back, I mean, you, the history there just doesn't really exist. Of top forty to fifty players as your second and third plus players as being good enough. So that's the issue here. Is like, like yes, Dame is probably the answer for the Sixers to really vault into that that upper echelon of title contenders when everything kind of breaks right for every team. But I don't think they can afford to wait. But I, but I do agree that that framework you mentioned of kind of two or three first round picks, in addition to Ben, in addition to Matt, Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thybulle, mm-hmm. kind of is gets you to the table, and then you can negotiate from there. But I just don't know if that's realistic for the Sixers, given kind of where they are with their their franchise center and a guy who you know is in his prime currently. And that's the thing is you you look at the potential offers that could be on the table. Um, obviously, New Orleans, Ingram, Blanco, and a pilot. First, because they've got what eight? I think they can give up to eight without violating the step in, which is insane. <laughs> um, and Boston, I mean, a, a, a package of Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and three firsts is a tough, tough offer to be because Jalen's the best player you can get mm-hmm. the group. Um, so if you're looking to get a 22, 23 year old star in the wings who you can ride the next generation. Uh, reset, who's on a, a non-max, too. Uh, I think that matters. Um, and draft capital behind that, especially if you can get them far enough out because Dame is 30 years old, or 31 here in a week or two, um, that the picks could possibly hit, too, to where you get something akin to what the Celtics did from the Nets. Uh, I, I think that's probably your best and that's a, I think that that's the position of strength that Portland could operate on is that there's at least three probably four depending on how involved Toronto wanted to get five teams who can put together very competitive offers with lots of picks beyond uh, behind the talent as well yeah and I think you mentioned Boston specifically specifically my goodness I always have trouble saying that word for some reason um, you mentioned Boston and kind of maybe a horde of picks I think that team might be a little more willing to, you know, part with picks because they still have Jason Tatum, right? Like if, if, if yeah. game ends up, you know, you know, I don't want to say breaking down, but falling off a little bit by age 33, you've still got a guy who's 26 and has shown the ability to be a top 15 player in his third or fourth year. Like you still mm-hmm. think you're, you're going to have a guy who's a top 10, maybe borderline MVP candidate by that point. So you're not going to be terrible. You're not going to be, it's not going to be the Nets where you're selling off the fourth pick six years in a row or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's hyperbole, but makes a little, my point is it makes it a little more, maybe palatable for both sides that you can trust that you're still going to be quite good with Tatum, even if Dame isn't at this level in a few years. And for the Blazers, you can maybe ask for a little bit more because you know that they, Boston feels reassured with, with kind of the guy they have there yeah. currently that they pair with Dame. So um, you you mentioned Toronto a little bit and New Orleans, of course, and, and then Boston. 
Is there any other, are there any other teams that you kind of think are, are sneaky suitors that, you know, could be in the running a year from now or maybe. Mike, who was Mike, that? Manny? Mike finds a way to put somebody together. You know, it, it, they could make a trade between now and then, you know, where they bring in somebody of consequence. If that guy ends up being, you know, who they, they go after. It's, 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 they're always sneaky. Um, the Lakers, and I, I see you guys in here, Grant, Raj, all you guys. There isn't a chance in hell. Stop. There, you, there is no combination of rejects Alex Caruso offers you can put together that can cobble enough assets to mortgage that future of that franchise enough to even pick up the phone. So just don't just, just get the idea out of your head. Grant, put your photoshops away. Um, <laughs> did this non-start? Uh, I think I think you're late on that. Raj has already done six radio breakdowns. Uh, <laughs> Grant has seven photoshops in his, his folder already. You're you're well beyond those calls. But yeah, I agree. Unless unless Dame makes some call that he only wants to go to the Lakers, even uh, then, with the yeah, years, even, that, even then, it would have to be in like three years or two years where yeah. we really have a lot of leverage there. And that's um, the thing. Everybody wants to talk about, well, stars run the league, stars run the league. I'm telling you right now, Portland will not acquiesce because what's going to happen to them if they don't acquiesce to, to Damian Lillard? Less free agents are going to come to Portland? Like, they, there's no, like, leverage point. Like, they, they aren't a team that relies on clutch to get deals done. They aren't a big money destination. They're built in. So if you don't have the assets, they I, honestly, I think they would go full toxic and they would write it out. Like, <laughs> I legitimately believe that because it is better for them to do that than it is to give him up for below market. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, you know, Raj says THT Schroeder in the twenty second, the number twenty two or yeah, twenty two pick. I, that's uh, been thrown to my DMs before, Raj. So yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but the thing, so I think everyone pretty much understands what Dame brings as a score. Um, you know, the deep range, the, you know, the ability to get to the rim and, you know, with his strength and his burst and, and whatnot. But the two areas I do want to touch on that I think you could kind of enlighten people on is, is what do you make of his passing? Where does he excel? Where is he going to struggle a little bit? And then also the defense. What, what is the best way to use him on that end? Because obviously that would, you know, in this situation from the six perspective, if you're going from Ben to Dame, um, you're, I mean, you're going from one of the, one of the least, you know, What's the best word? The, one of the least effective offensive, quote-unquote, guards beyond the first round to one of the most effective uh, versus going from one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA to one of the least effective in Dame. Yep. So what are you getting as a passer from Dame, and then what are you getting defensively, and how could the Sixers try and make that work defensively where they can still put together a pretty dang good defense, even if Dame is kind of not leading the point of attack, but being one of the guys who has to guard on the perimeter uh, night in and night out? Dame as a playmaker is best described to me as, as economy of motion. He is not flashy. Um, his flash comes from his finishing at the rim and three-point ability. That is where his flash is. Uh, he can pass with either hand. Uh, not great off one hand. Uh, very much a two-handed passer. Uh, he does know how to split the double teams pretty well. Uh, he is not good uh, at full speed. He is not Russell Westbrook, who is going to elevate, get caught midair, and then rip a pass to the corner. His his vision is above average. He will make the right play nine out of ten times. That's why you see him averaging thirty five and ten in the playoffs. His limits as a passer. The only thing that it does is it keeps him from being a top five player. To be honest, that that's his defense and his his inability to. Find guys the easiest shots regularly, a la Westbrook, Chris Paul, those types. Hell, Ben Simmons. Um, 
when you're when you're looking for that backdoor lob and you see that guy come off the back screen and you know that he's going to be free for the next three seconds as somebody just got killed by Yusuf Nurkic and he doesn't throw the lob, it is physically painful. Um, because, number one, he doesn't do it. Number two, when he does, he's one of the most ineffective lob passers I've ever seen. And it's such a weird thing, especially having watched Andre Miller here for years. <laughs> Quite literally, the best lob passer of all time. Um, so you have this, this strong contract. Um, but it, this isn't to like knock his playmaking down. When you're talking about Damian Lillard, when you're finding the negative, you really do have it's like, yeah, he's a really good passer, but this is what inhibits him from being a top five playmaker in the NBA, mm-hmm. like top 10 or a top 15. Uh, defender, Damian Lillard manipulates pick and rolls probably better than anybody in the modern NBA outside of Chris Paul. He knows leverage. He knows angles. He knows timing, whether it's a guard's pick and roll, a, a big pick and roll, a wing pick and roll, side, above the break, corner, uh, deep. Uh, free throw line, it doesn't matter. He just understands angles, timing, and situation. Apparently, every bit of that knowledge leaves his brain on the defensive end because he regularly takes some of the worst angles you've ever seen. He bisects screeners with his shoulder and dies on them regularly. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 again, such a strong contrast because he understands angles so well, maybe better than anybody, on the offensive end, defensively, he just doesn't. I don't. I don't. I know how to explain it. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, where CJ McCollum struggles against bigger matchups and in the post, Dame's one of the strongest guards in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Kyle Lowry esque in that regard. You try to post up Damian Lillard, you better be one of the big boys because you're not backing him down. Um, yeah, incredibly strong. Um, Definitely one of the strongest guys in the league, pound for pound. Uh, he is a wrecking ball in that regard. That's where he stands out defensively. Uh, if you don't put him in pick and roll uh, as an opponent, you're doing yourself a service. Because in open space, he's good. He flips his hips well. His footwork's okay. Um, he's, he's able uh, athletically to stay with most guys uh, when he puts his nose to it. But putting him in a pick and roll, you're, you're going to kill him. I mean, that's, that's – he just – he goes under when he should go over. Uh, you know, he doesn't put uh, pressure up on the hedge. It's just all these little things. And then this year, because the offensive burden was so great, he had a James Harden 2015-2016 season. He took possessions off. Uh, he looked about as bad as I've seen him since his rookie year with his consistency and his effort. I think a lot of that had to do with the run-it-back mentality and COVID, the bubble, <laughs> losing friends in his life that were, you know, killed, um, losing family members. Uh, it was it was a rough year. I think a lot of that stuff played into defense downgrading, but that also doesn't excuse that that's also what he's supposed to be able to do. Uh, and there was some serious regression in that. Yeah, I think you mentioned the, the core strength. I think that is the biggest carrier between his offense and his defense because the core strength is why he can effortlessly, effortlessly shoot the ball from beyond half court. And then the post, I mean, he's just, just so stout there. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the thing I've noticed beyond the strength there uh, in the post is a kind of a mismatched defender uh, as the off ball defense is really, was really tough this year. Um, yep. But I, but I had, I hadn't really thought, I mean, I guess I had thought about some of the pick and roll stuff, but um, yeah, gr- great insights there. Of course. I just, I just think it's, I just like to always get the perspective of a guy or a person who covers the team of a guy that is you know being traded for, because I think there's always a general perception of players, but um, the nuances can get overlooked and maybe, you know, muddy the fit a little bit. So I appreciate that. Um, 
I think we've kind of touched on on everything here. Before we maybe wrap it up, is there anything you wanted to address with the Dame side of things, whether it's involved with the Sixers or just in general, maybe pertaining to the, the direction of this team that you, we didn't quite uh, you know touch on yet? I mean, with, with, with the press conference, I think you, you got a little bit of a feeling for the, the disorganization currently emanating, but, but what's happening in Portland, right? I think that's that's the thing to watch, uh, regardless of what offers are, are there. They are not – they're going to do everything they can to keep Damian Lillard. This is yeah. not a Davis that – it's a foregone conclusion. It's happening. Dame legitimately wants to be in Portland. That, that mm-hmm. is like, by more than a few people who are, are in a place to, to know those kind of things. And I, it, it's going to take something drastic. Uh, but I think we're reaching that point, and that drastic is going to come down to, can they put a, a, a legitimate number two alongside Damian Lloyd? If they fail to do that over the next six weeks, I genuinely believe that he will attempt to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has reached that point. Um, which is a terrifying thing because if you had asked me that a month ago, I would have said that there was no chance in hell that he, the only time that he would leave would be like year 14, year 15 after this contract's done. He wants to go back to Oakland and play his closing years after Steph retires there, or he wants to go to Utah uh, and go hang out there with, with, you know, his former stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, those are the situations, you know, pull a Dwayne Wade, go, go, go take a little tour here or there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's scary hours in Portland, <laughs> but my, my mindset, my attitude has said drastically on this stuff really over the past two weeks. Yeah. And to clarify, did you say six weeks or six months? I couldn't quite. No, no. The, this next six weeks. Okay. Just this, that's this, what I thought, but I yeah, want to make this, sure. This, this off season, I, I, okay. as crazy as it sounds, I believe it to be make or break. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's fair just based on all the comments we've seen both from Dame or you know, re- relating to Dame or from the front office, whoever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, yeah, I feel like we're almost in a, we're in a race for uh, for dysfunction between the Mavs and the Blazers these days. Uh, uh, for whatever reason, both they have both roster top top 20, ten or twelve players. Uh, so uh, appreciate appreciate you coming on, Danny. Um, where can people find you? Uh, where can they read your work? Where can they listen to you talk about the Blazers? <laughs> um, give yourself a little shout out here um, before we hop off for the afternoon. Yeah, uh, you can find me on social media across all platforms. If I can get. IG to update. <laughs> so my name again, uh, at Danny Maring, at D-A-N-N-Y-M-R, uh, at Blazers Edge. Also, I've got a, uh, a podcast announcement coming up. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be doing that. And then please uh, go to YouTube.com backslash Danny Maring. That's where all of my video content is being done now. Uh, while I look for another TV gig while the Blazers change TV contract providers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what's going on right now. Yeah, uh, so if anyone is listening currently or listens to this as a podcast episode uh, and you are in the market to hire Danny, definitely do so. <laughs> for anyone who's just listening, uh, the Blazers are kind of in a place now where I don't want to say for the first time they're interesting, but um, they're not just the kind of the first or second round out that they've been for the last few years. Uh, a lot of interesting things going on there, so make sure to follow Danny, read his work, listen to him talk about the Blazers. Uh, appreciate you coming on. I hope everyone who listened uh, got some insights. Um, obviously, the Blazers kind of seem like the biggest player uh, revolving around a Ben Simmons deal, um, whether it's now or in the next year or so. Um, so I hope we were able to provide some insights about what those fits and skill sets and deals might look like. Um, but I'll be back on Thursday. Uh, don't know exactly what the topic will be, but I'm sure, of course, actually not sure. It, of course, it will be Sixers related. That is what I do here. Um, but I'll be back Thursday. Uh, Danny, I appreciate you coming on again. Uh, not again. I appreciate you coming on. 
Again, I'm, I'm really I'm I'm bungling down the stretch of this uh, this conclusion here, so I apologize, everyone. But anyhow, I'll be back Thursday. Uh, until then, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I will talk to all of you again soon.